Chapter 6 Glaison knew Yawmoth lied. He'd known from the first moment he met the man. This is a charlatan and a monster, he told himself. Yawmoth's latest lie was the most outlandish of all. To think the very basis of Thrain ascendance was rotting the people who created it. To think that the foundations of the Empire were so cracked and caving. And to base it all on eugenicist theory. That humans were mere animals. That they were animated by fluids and little beasties. That every tissue was made up of smaller tissues. Every organism of smaller organisms in an infinite regression. It was all ludicrous. Glaceon knew it. Rebecca did not. Even as Yalmoth burned the boy and stormed out the door, he had Rebecca's ear. With that ear, he would gain the ear of all Halcyon. Glaceon tried to warn his wife. Once the monster was gone, though, she heard only the screams of the boy. She had a fragile heart. She was a glass dove in her glass temple. The boy, a worse faker than Yalmoth. His blackened sternum was nothing next to Glaceon's lesions. Did Rebecca crouch over her husband in worry? Did she touch the bearskin the way she touched the boys to lift the killing stone from him? He, a Thysis carry an untouchable? Did she pay Glaceon any mind? No. Glaceon did not exaggerate his ills. He complained only a tenth of the woes he suffered. Unlike this upstaging brat. He's not that hurt, Glaceon growled at last. Shut up, she said desperately. On cue, the faker stopped his struggling and fell into a seeming swoon. It was all quite touching. Rebecca clung to him as healers came in to make the lad as comfortable as possible. They called it coma. Glaceon called it an act. Did they listen? Of course not. Glaceon was only a genius, and this lad, only a scurvy rat, who would chew off his own leg to get out of a trap. Who would they believe but the rat? Rebecca lingered after the other ones were gone. She did her level best to assure her husband. He did his level best to convince her Yawmoth was a lion monster and the boy a faker and killer. She did not hear. She could not. Rebecca was incapable of perceiving the darkness of humanity. She had no word for it. She could look right through a monster and never see him at all. When she left that night, Glaceon contented himself with a thought experiment. Thinking was his only refuge. Just now, he thought of power stone dynamics. It was well established that crystals were charged when their cores were bombarded with enough radiance that the matter within turned to energy. Now Glaceon wondered what happened to the space occupied by those particles. In theory, matter existed only due to a compacting of space. Crumpled space trapped energy, sewing it into material form. Smooth space was like a sheet of paper in the rain, bombarded by water but gathering little of it. As the rain continues though, the paper warps and gathers more rain. Rills rise and troughs deepen. Were the paper bombarded long enough, it would crumple and fold, trapping the water. So too energy bombarded and warped space. The crumpled space trapped energy, converting it to matter. If so, when matter within a crystal was converted to energy, the space would unfold and straighten. Thus, charging a power stone unfolded, even created space. Perhaps every charged power stone contained not only a vast store of energy, but a vast area, a pocket dimension. This thought experiment occupied Glaceon's mind during his convalescence. Once his strength had returned, he would perform true experiments to prove it all. Then, Halcyon would know their genius had returned. Glaceon would win back their ears. Such were Glaceon's thoughts as he dropped into slumber. Such were his thoughts later. Yes, he was more brilliant in his sleep than others were waking. When the hands clamped, his throat closed. Glaceon awoke to see that. Once again, he had been the only one who saw the truth. Gix sat astride him. The boy. It occurred to Glaceon only then that this gaunt figure was really more a man than a boy. Pinned his arms beneath thytic knees and strangled him. Gix's pallid face was red. 
When Glaceon opened his eyes and met the young man's gaze, the determination there stumbled. Gix must have glimpsed the true horror of his deed. The loss of Glaceon would be not only to the citizens, but also to the rats that ate what fell from the citizens' table. Hands tied around Glaceon's throat, Gix began to speak. You did this to us. I used to think I infected you, but you were the one who infected us both. You infected thousands in the cave. Each time he said the word infected, spittle leapt from his lips. That's enough reason to kill you. Glaceon had no air to form words, but his lips silently spoke to them. To murder me? It's not murder. It's justice. Kill me, and you'll die. Glaceon's response was little more than moving lips and a bit of whispered air. Nostrils flaring in distaste. Gix eased his grip, allowing Glaceon to suck a breath into his lungs. It was a moment of triumph for Glaceon. This one pretended to be a hero, but he had no resolve. When his own life was the issue, he would make any deal to save himself. Glaceon had a damnable gift for seeing into the minds of lesser men, and every man he met was lesser. Now, Glaceon used the one lie that would save him, the lie of Yawgmoth. He rasped, Spare me, and Yawgmoth will spare you. Without Yawgmoth, you too are dead. Gix's eyes narrowed still more. I don't need to kill you. It would only be a mercy. You and I will both die. Yawgmoth can't save us. This much impressed Glaceon. Maybe this boy, this man, did glimpse the truth. But better you die in a slow agony as I do, as my people do. Better that you live long enough to see us rise from the caves and kill your people and destroy your white haven. With that, Gix released Glaceon and climbed off of him. Even so, the untouchable held a clenched fist above his foe's face. Raise the alarm, and I'll kill you just for spite. With satisfaction, Glaceon noted the stitched scars and blackened lesions across the young man's body. You'll never get out of the city alive. You'll never reach your caves. I know the ways down, Gix said ominously. And I know ways back up. He bolted for the door. Of course, Glaceon raised the alarm. With his wretched throat and weak lungs, he could do little more than mule like a kitten. No one could hear him. The folk of Halcyon had stopped listening. Another man was stealing their ears. Rebecca had not designed the council hall, and it was obvious. Massive, grim, gray, stodgy, symmetrical, fetid. For a century, this structure had been the height of Halcyon. It sat like a great cap atop a volcano. While all the other buildings of the city yearned toward it, this building presided over them with stout arrogance. It yearned toward nothing but itself. It was a shrine to the past. Eight massive drums held aloft the central octagon of the meeting space, which in turn shouldered the way to the gray stone dome that shut out the light of heaven. As Yawmoth stood beside Rebecca just beneath the dome, he reminded himself that he pluckily added a spiral stair and a spire to it, just as pluckily she argued now with the elder council. Beneath each transept of the octagon, sat a body of elders from one of the eight Thran city-states. The largest, Halcyon and Nyoron, had fifty elders each and the others fewer. At the head of each group stood an exalted podium where the eldest of each city-state presided. At the center of each dome stood the highest podium of all, a platform reached by two opposite sets of stairs. Clustered beneath the central podiums were the leaders, heads of clans, seers, geniuses. Glaceon would normally have been seated among those twenty, but for his thysis. Glaceon and his thysis were the business of the day. I completely disagree, Rebecca replied to an elder's objection. This is not a halcyon concern alone. The work of my husband, of Glaceon, is studied by every artificer in the land. 
The devices that have mostly greatly elevated us are his. Powerstone use was innovated by him. But even that is not the issue. The issue is that each of our city-states is utterly dependent on Powerstone technology. Our cities will collapse, sometimes literally, if that technology is removed. The gray-robed and masked moderator called upon the eldest of Losanin, a stately woman, half a head taller than most men and as thin as a statue. There is no evidence of the stasis affecting anyone except your husband and the prison hordes in the caves. Indeed, your husband's ailments come from the caves, not from the city. Why not simply double the guard at the caves to prevent any escape and suspend visiting rights until this plague has run its course? Rebecca was poised to respond, but Yalmoth spoke instead. On the contrary, I have seen this plague in three other city-states, en route to here, and have heard of it in the other four. But always among the rabble, interrupted the eldest of Losanin. Always among the indigenent. No, Yalmoth broke in. There is evidence of infection among the citizenry of Halcyon, among folks who have no contact with untouchables. I have charted the progress of this plague in the caves of the dam and know the beginning signs of it. I have found six other cases in the city itself. I have not conducted an extensive search. That caused a sensation. The moderator stood from his chair, the symbol for silence. At the doors, the moderator's enforcers tensed, ready to pluck from the crowd any who would not fall to silence. Quiet resumed. The moderator sat up and indicated another speaker, the eldest of Qingnan. The man was portly and privileged, accustomed to gaining his way outside the council hall by diverting issues that might arise. These reports are alarming. Surely, perhaps alarmist. You are one man, young moth. Three years ago, you were a banished man among lepers, an enemy of the state. You practice a brand of healing that repels most of us. Why should we listen to you? Why should we take your word? Why should we believe you have ceased to be our enemy and become our friend? Don't take my word, Yalmoth replied, shaking his head. I want you to find out for yourself. I am making for the core of your brightest minds to gather and see what I have found. They can judge for themselves. I am asking for the chance to prove to you the reality and threat of this disease. Those who think me a charlatan can report their findings to this body. On the other hand, those who are convinced by my findings, my methods, could join me in searching for a cure. The eldest of Nyoran was granted the floor. In your written proposal, you asked for more than a corps of observers. You asked for facilities, for equipment, for the right to screen citizens. Without such things, how am I to prove the reality of this plague? Yamoth pleaded in exacerbation. He flung his hands out. Perhaps Rebecca was too quick to say this was an issue of public health rather than the health of one man. But I would think... After all that Glaceon has done for this empire, that it would supply a single wing of a single infirmary in which a group of small, earnest seekers could do everything in their power to find a cure for him. Even if you will not allot the space and money to save yourselves, won't you allot it to save Glaceon? The moderator recognized Jameth, eldest of Halcyon. The woman stood. She was a real figure in red, with high cheekbones and roomy eyes. Jameth opened an envelope and patiently unfolded a note within. Since you mentioned Leader Glaceon, I feel it's time to read this. I received it by messenger this morning. It has Glaceon's seal. He asked me to read the message to the assembled council. Friends, from my sickbed, dare I not call it my deathbed? I write this urgent request and warning. Shun the man Yogmoth. He was once rightly declared an enemy of the state and exiled as such. I plead that he be exiled once more. 
I have been under his scalpel and his supposed administrations for too long, have endured excruciating programs, and have watched my body decay more rapidly from Yawmoth than from Thysis. He is a charlatan at best, and at worst a monster. I do not wish his return, nor do I condone that he remain among us. Unless he is exiled, I am confident that he will bring us to civil war. If he is, as my wife suppose, then I am co-signed to die. I would rather die than live any longer as a prisoner to his violent manipulations. Therefore, I propose that the council vote immediately to banish Yawmoth, declaring him now and forever an enemy of the Thran Empire. Signed, Glaceon of Halcyon. No sooner had the final word emerged from Jamet's mouth than in other mouths came shouts of approval, seconding the motion. Yawmoth looked grimly at Rebek, but she clutched his hand. Her strength seemed to flow across to him. The moderator stood once again and said, I cannot allow a vote on this proposal when Yawmoth's own proposal remains to be considered. I suggest the two be combined, Yawmoth said suddenly. If I am not granted the facilities and assistance and provisions I requested in my proposal, I will leave this city. I will leave this empire. I might as well be banished. If you vote that you do not believe in my work, I will leave you to Thysis, which you also do not believe in. My friends, it will bring you to civil war, not I. Civil war and utter annihilation. Disbelieve Yawmoth to your loss. Disbelieve the Thysis to your peril. I suggest these two motions be combined into a single proposal. Those in favor of Glaceon's terms for my banishment shall vote I. And those in favor of my terms for continued research shall vote nay. Many calls came to that motion. Then it has come to a vote, said the moderator. All those who favor Glaceon's call for the immediate banishment of this man, Yalmoth, speak aye. The response was sullen and immediate. It echoed in the dome as though the stolid building itself had spoken. Yalmoth gripped Rebecca's hand, sending back to her the confidence she had granted him. All those opposed to the banishment and in favor of Yalmoth's request for facilities, personnel, supplies, and so forth to continue his study. Let them say nay. The sound was almost identical, though perhaps a bit louder if only for the resolve in the voices of those who spoke. In the opinion of the moderator, the motion for banishment carries. Calls came for a hand count, and the moderator granted it. Each of the eldest of the cities turned to face his contingents, conducting the same vote with a show of hands. Though Yalmoth continued to cling to Rebecca, his attention was elsewhere. He hawkishly watched the house at contingent. He observed those who voted for banishment, with every face was imprinted upon the black back of his mind. They won't do it, Rebecca whispered to him. They won't condemn us. Yamoth glanced down at her. Do you mean they won't condemn you and Glaceon, or you and me? Her eyes were querulous, almost hurt. To condemn you and to be condemned Glaceon. Yamoth only nodded. His jaw muscles flexed beneath a sheen of black stubble. The counts were tallied. The totals taken to the moderator. The healer Yawmoth will have his facilities and observers. The eight eldest shall see to it. Rebecca was at home here now. It was midnight. The moon was a grand sickle that scratched along the crystal foundation. Power stones loomed now and starry rings all around. Lice chased the myriad facets and rose in the icy ghost of doom. She was home here now. Glaceon's illness was horrible. He was her soulmate. Together, artifice and art, they had transformed the empire. When he fell ill, she ached for him, but did not fear for him. 
she had felt somehow that she, by mere exertion of will, could keep him alive, could bring him healing. It seemed impossible for him to die while she lived. Now, no doom was impossible. The specters of the future had risen from the artifice and art. If the Thran continued in the way pioneered by Glaceon and Rebecca, they were doomed to die. If they abandoned that way, they could only descend through the icy umbra of the heights they had once ascended. This place, loftiest structure in the Empire, it was the utter embodiment of a hope for heaven that led exonerably to hell. Even as it hung there, it poisoned the people. Even as it gave them visions glorious throughout the days, it terrified their nights with relentless death. Rebecca was at home here now. She was among the ghosts. She hoped, even to catch the thysis that ravaged her love and her land, then she would be one with them. In all her ascending, she left them behind. Only Yawmoth could save them now. Only Yawmoth and his mad medicine. The climb down had been hard. The climb back up was sheer agony. Gix's body had weakened with each moment since he had released Glaceon. Part of it was the thysis, of course. The black infection in his sternum had festered. Part of it, the larger part, was a niggling fear. Was survival more important to him than principle? Perhaps Gix had spared Glaceon only because killing the man would mean his own death. He hated that thought. It wasn't true. It couldn't be true. It wouldn't be true once this raid was over. The Houseats would pay for what they'd done. Glaceon would pay. When hosts of the dam floored up through sewers to drag them down in their own offal, the Houseats would begin to understand their crimes. When untouchables drove them to their knees and made them kiss the supating wounds on their knuckles, the citizens would know their guilt. When garbage people leapt atop them and stomped on their backs, the Houseite would never forget. Only thoughts like these made the wretched climb possible. Gix's body was racked with pain. When he descended to the caves of the damned, he had begun alone, driven downward by the news he bore to his people. Now as he climbed, he dragged hundreds of others up with him. At least this time, the awful news he carried was meant not for the damned, but for the demons themselves.